0: Today, I am joined by Amazon bestselling author and IRS criminal investigation special agent, Robert Nordlander. Robert has traveled all across the globe chasing money launders and tax evaders. His cases range from simple embezzlement to using a foreign trust to hide income. So we're going to be talking to him about his story and his career and anything else he wants to discuss. So Robert, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Oh, thank you. I appreciate it, Curtis.
0: Why don't you start off by telling everybody a little bit about yourself?
1: Well, currently I am CPA. I retired from IRS criminal investigations a little, little less than two years ago, and I started a forensic accounting firm, which is a firm that specializes in court proceedings. So if someone steals money from someone else and they have to go to court, my job is to get on the witness stand and testify about where the money come from, where the money go to. And that can range from simple embezzlements to maybe divorces where a construction uh, operator who owns a construction business has stated I only have so much income, but the spouse knows there's more out there. So I get hired to figure out where the money came from, and where the money went to. Hidden money. I find the money and trace it and t- can explain to the judge and to the jury if need be about where it came from and where it went to. So that's kind of the, the first prong of that. The second prong is because of my employment with the IRS for over 20 years, I know how to resolve large tax problems. So if someone's got a large tax problem where the IRS is stepping on their neck you know, threaten to sell their children and sell their houses in order to pay the taxes, I come in and help negotiate the best deal possible with that with that uh, with that client. So it's really two things. That's kind of what I do right now. But prior to that, I was a special agent with IRS criminal investigations. And like your intro said, my job was to investigate potential potential criminal tax violations, people who commit tax evasion, people who falsify tax returns, and people who Commit money laundering. And that took me to various cases that had su- subjects around the world. And that's kind of, it was a very good and interesting career.
0: Yeah, it definitely sounds like it. And your cases have become famous and, and been on uh, several different TV shows. So talk about, if you can, or as much as you can, some of your most uh, famous or interesting cases.
1: I actually have two interesting cases that that were. At least had some publicity, most of us nationwide publicity. One of them was a runner. He considered himself what they call an ultra-marathon runner, long distance runner. And he created a video running across the Sahara Desert. And ultimately, I investigated him and we went to trial for various bank fraud. Uh, and other fraud violations, and the jury found him guilty, and he spent, I think, at least, I think about a year or two in prison. I know it was more than a year. can't remember exactly how many months, uh, but he actually wrote a book about it. A couple pa- couple of chapters in that book was about the trial and what he thought about it. Of course, no, he w- wasn't very flattering to me, but it's, it's, it's what it was. That was number one. Number two is I obviously had a case where an individual – child was considered missing. And ultimately, the parents were responsible for the child's death. When I say child, I think she was like 13 years old at the time. And she was missing for 18 months. And the adoptive parents continued to use her identity in order to get benefits, whether it's tax benefits or like food stamp benefits, social benefits, that type of thing. And they used her identity to to do so Ultimately, one of them went to one of them pled guilty. One of them went to trial, and it became national news because this child was missing for eighteen months before the parents or these adopted parents even declared her missing. Which was interesting because there was a there was a nationwide manhunt for this child called Erica Parsons. And one of them pled guilty. The other one pled not guilty with the trial. And for these various white collar violations, they. One of the, they were both in up were guilty in the judge sentence of the eight years and 10 years. And then after about a year in prison, the adopted father showed law enforcement where the body was buried. And then the state of North Carolina came in and ultimately charged them with various uh, statutes of, I think what it was like, second-degree murder or something like, something like that. There were some type of murder charges that were against the parents and they're in there for, I think, 20 plus years, so... That was a very interesting story. It's a very small loss. Typically IRS criminal investigations doesn't do small losses. The situation there was a small loss, but there was a need socially, I believe, in order to use our expertise in order to make sure there's justice for Erica Parsons.
0: Yeah, I think I remember that case. Talk about how a simple audit can turn into a uh, criminal tax investigation.
1: Well, the IRS has two main functions. One of them is to assess the tax, which means figure out how much is owed. And the other job is to collect the tax, which is how people want to pay. But there's also a part of this enforcement of collecting and assessing. There is a small unit of the IRS called IRS Criminal Investigations. And their job is to pick and choose the best cases across the country and investigate them for fraud. And they have a pretty good track record. They, they have a over 90% conviction rate. Uh, once they get a hold of someone, it's, it's, it's almost guaranteed that there'll be some type of conviction. So uh, over a 90% conviction rate is extremely, extremely high in federal law enforcement. That being said, there are times when there's an audit of an individual, whether it's The IRS agent is trying to collect the money, or there's an IRS called audit. And there are key indicators that these employees are trained to look for. One is what they call badges of fraud. Badges of fraud are indicators of fraud that almost all fraud has. I'll give an example a double set of books. You know, they give you a financial statement saying one thing, but the tax return says another. That'd be a double set of books. Uh, Another one would be lying to an IRS agent about your income or about the assets you have. Because when there's time to collect, the IRS is going to want to know, well, where do you work? How much do you earn? And, And what assets do you have? What bank accounts do you have? That type of thing. And many times in these situations, individuals... Will try to hide their income by putting it maybe in their girlfriend's name or their spouse's name or maybe a child's name and are trying to hide it from the IRS and the IRS will take it to apply it to their tax liabilities. Well, that's when an audit starts becoming a criminal investigation. And these IRS employees are trained to look for these types of things. And if it meets a certain criteria, which would be a number of years, uh, we're not doing a one-year case, rsci will do a multi-year multi-year case if there is obviously known where the money went to for example the money didn't go to pay taxes instead they went to pay for a lot of trips to disney world you know and overseas trips and give the kid a private school education if the money didn't go to pay taxes but end up paying for personal living expenses then that's another thing that we would we would look at from a from a criminal investigator standpoint. Um, That, the age of the individual, the health of an individual, there are a few non-number oriented type of things we'd look at. Like, for example, age, a 35-year-old can go to prison just fine. But an 85-year-old person with dementia, with an iron lung, is probably not the character you want in prison. You know, I mean, it's that's how try to. But the point being is you want to put people in prison that, well, the judge will look at and the jury will look at and say, yeah, that person deserves to go to prison and should be in prison that type of thing. So they would look at various characteristics of that, and then they would give it to IRSCI as we call a fraud referral. And then the criminal investigator would take a look at it and run with it, whether it's doing interviews, getting bank statements. It would also entail surveillance, search warrants, that type of thing. So that's when a civil audit turns into a criminal t- criminal tax investigation. So when there are indicators of fraud and there's a pattern of behavior that the IRS agent believes warrants a criminal investigation to stop that behavior.
0: So, talk about how small businesses are, are prosecuted for not paying their their payroll
1: taxes. Well, that's an interesting tax. The U.S. Congress, United States Congress, has passed laws that requires the employer to withhold taxes out of employees' paychecks. Anybody who's a W two employee understands that, which you may make $10 an hour, but you're not getting $10 an hour. You're actually netting out maybe $7 an hour by the time it's all said and done because there's taxes taken out. Well, those taxes that are taken out are called trust fund taxes. That means that those taxes that are withheld are the property of the United States government. So when an employer is required by the government to withhold these taxes... The government says, that's not your money, it's not the employee's money, it's not the employer's money, it's the government's money. And when those taxes are not turned over to the government, the government considers that as theft. Now, the small business owner or small business employer who has withheld these taxes may not think it's theft because there was no malice, no forethought. They don't have bad intentions. Maybe they had a bad month or a bad year and really can't pay. The government doesn't care. They consider that as, as staffed if you don't turn it over. So the, they are required to turn that over. And when they don't, there are large civil penalties as well as potential criminal penalties for doing so. Because if, like anything else, if you steal money, uh, there's a criminal violation that's been done. So uh, in this situation, there has been a criminal violation. The question is now is how bad is it? And is it worthy of a full-fledged federal criminal investigation into where this money went to?
0: What's the difference between tax avoidance and tax evasion?
1: That's a good question. Well, tax avoidance is when you're trying to lower your tax bill as much as possible, and that is totally legal. Tax evasion is when you're taking steps to hide the income or hide the assets if you are if you owe the money. That's really the difference between the two. So, tax avoidance would be, I get an example, you earning money and you want to lower your tax bill, so you give some money to charity. That's not a problem at all. Or you buy a car for uh, your business and you depreciate it. Totally legitimate Some of it can be tax avoidance if you maybe you buy the car at the December 31st, you know, before the year ends. And it's not a problem whatsoever. Tax evasion is if you tell the IRS, I don't own the car uh, and I don't control the car, but yet the car's in your girlfriend's name and you're driving around. That would be tax avoidance. So, or excuse me, that'd be tax evasion. It's the hiding of assets and the hiding of of income.
0: So talk about what a forensic accounting is and and when should somebody hire one?
1: Well, a forensic accountant, it's like I talked to you beforehand, is a person who follows the money. Where did the money come from or where did the money go to? They are used, uh, the word forensic means in court. You think about uh, you watch these TV shows where someone gets fingerprints or blood stains, and that type of stuff. What they're doing is they're getting evidence to show in court, which is called forensic. Same thing with forensic accounting is using accounting in court. In uh, that type of skill set is used typically when there's some type of dispute about the money. It could be damages, um, it could be as simple as the Vacation home that you rent out for some reason burns down and you had a lot of renters lined up and not only did you lose your house, but you lost your stream of income because all these renters can't get to give the money back to them because of it. Well, a forensic accountant can, sh- can show up in a, certainly in court, but can help the insurance company figure out what the true loss is. Not only is a loss of the property, but there's also potential loss of the income. And so the insurance company would hire a forensic accountant to figure out how much income was lost because of the fire. That's one example. And most common examples are in divorce when there's a dispute about the income or the assets from one spouse, well, another spouse says this person's got more income and more assets than what, that's what's reported. There's also a forensic account that's used for helping criminal defense attorneys when the government steps in and says this person committed tax evasion or some money laundering or some type of financial dispute. We think this guy stole the money. A forensic accountant can review the documents and then get on this witness stand and maybe refute what the government has said. Uh, that's another one. Another common example of forensic accountant is when, let's say, grandma's in a nursing home and somehow the granddaughter, we'll say the granddaughter, uh, gets a hold of grandma's bank account and just starts spending money on herself. Well, grandma's in a nursing home. She can't spend all this money. But yet there's a family member, what they call elder abuse or financial elder abuse, spends the money on themselves. And then all of a sudden... A relative's now broke because somebody else was taking a lot of the money. So you would also use a forensic accountant in that situation, depending on the amount of money, if it's worth hiring them to figure out, okay, where did the money go to? Did this person buy a house? This person buy a car? This person just go out and buy a lot of clothes? You know, where does money go to? Is there there any way to claw this money back and sell some assets that were ultimately were purchased by the stolen funds and recuperate some of these losses? So, That is when a forensic accountant is actually used.
0: So, for those people out there who are having tax trouble, hopefully it's not none of my listeners. But give some negotiating tips that people can use to negotiate with the IRS.
1: There are a few things the IRS has. Approximately seven ways to deal with a tax problem. Seven ways. Number one is to pay the tax bill in full. Well, that's obvious, right? The IRS IRS will take your money. Well, that's one way to, to. to solve the problem. There's also the pro- the issue of you can have an installment plan. So if there is a balance due, and let's say you owe $10,000, well the IRS will allow you to get on the phone and say, listen, I can't pay right now, but I'll pay X dollars. I can pay you, let's say $1,000 a year for five years. Something of that nature. So that's an installment plan, just like a, just like a car loan or a house or a house mortgage. Then there's something called a, a partial payment installment agreement, and that is when you can't pay the full the bill in full, but you can you can pay part of it, but not all of it. And so the IRS will allow you to negotiate with them uh, to figure out how much you can pay. And there is a formula that they use in order to figure out how much you can pay. And that's called a uh, partial payment installment agreement or PPIA. And then there's the ones that you always see on TV, which is the pennies on a dollar. See people on a golf course smiling, saying, yeah, we negotiated our bill for $100. And we owed a million bucks. Well, that's also a formula that's, that's out there and that can be done. Unfortunately, if you're playing golf on a golf course, you probably wouldn't qualify because the only person on the golf course that qualifies for this is the one who's working there, not the one who's playing there. You just about have to be bankrupt in order to negotiate that tax bill. But there are various ways that the IRS will negotiate if you know what the rules are. And that's really the key is knowing what the rules are.
0: So tell us about your books. You're also a a best-selling author. Tell us what we can expect when we read your books and where we can get them from?
1: Well, I have two books. One of them is already out. It's called Criminal Tax Secrets, What Every Defense Attorney Should Know. The book is written to defense attorneys about how to evaluate a criminal tax case. Remember, we we discussed recently how a civil audit can turn into a criminal tax investigation and what it looks like when it goes from one to the other. We talked about filing false tax returns and that type of thing. And that book was created and written for defense attorneys who have clients who either could be in trouble or are in trouble. And it helps them evaluate what the IRS is looking for and maybe some potential weaknesses that are in every tax case. Uh, It can't change the facts of a case. There's no pixie dust that you can throw on top of a case and make it somehow disappear. It doesn't work that way. But it does help the defense attorneys figure out what questions to ask the prosecutors and what documents to request to make sure they have the full picture because uh, the government can make mistakes. And that's that's the reason why that book was written. And you can get it on Amazon. That's where it's at, it's on Amazon. The second book is coming out in March. It's called Unpaid Payroll Taxes, A Time Bomb You Can't you can diffuse. And what that book is about is for CPAs, enrolled agents, attorneys, and small business owners who come across payroll tax problems. And what this does, it kind of gives the reader an overview of what payroll tax problems there can be and how to fix it if the IRS comes knocking on the door. And that's really what it comes down to. So most of my books are not for the individual who is you know the janitor or that type of thing but if someone is a business owner or responsible for making payroll or as a tax professional these books would help them out particularly unpaid payroll tax book that will let them know this is why the stove is hot don't touch it but if you if you do touch it here's how you can figure out how to uh how to how to um Give medical care to yourself, so so you don't get burned too bad. You know the damage is not that bad. So uh, that, that's kind of what it is.
0: So why does the IRS have an, an elite group of gun toting agents?
1: <laughs> Good question. Well, the biggest reason is to put the fear of God in people. Let's just face it. There are approximately two thousand special agents in the IRS, and their job is to investigate criminal tax violations and money laundering, typically money laundering violations. The IRS has more than 2,000 employees. They have, I think, around 70,000 employees. So out of 70,000, 2,000 of them actually carry guns. And they're they're on the same level as the FBI, Secret Service, DEA, Homeland Security. They have the same basic training uh, that these other agencies have. So they are Gun toters, they have the ability to go make arrests. They have ability to execute search warrants. And the reason why these agents need these weapons is because you never know what's behind those doors when you execute a search warrant, number one. Number two is, in many times, most of your crimes out there are crimes of greed, not crimes of passion. Crimes of passion is when you are you find, you know, you're... your spouse is sleeping with some other somebody, a person, and you go out there and you shoot them. And you get upset and you just take it out, right? You can shoot them. What's well, a crime of passion? Most of your crimes of greed are money-related, of course, which would be one drug dealer hitting another one off because you're encroaching on my territory and I can't get much sales off my drug sales. Or it is tax evasion. I don't want to pay taxes, and so therefore I do this. Or some type of fraud-related type of thing. It could be human trafficking. All that stuff is really crimes of greed. Uh, so in crimes of greed, you never know what person is thinking. And, and many times they have a lot to lose. And so, and, and it can range from the person who's never had a traffic ticket all the way to the person who just spent 20 years in prison for armed robbery. And he's now he's out and he's decided to uh, pay taxes on maybe his drug sales. So you never know. And that's the reason why they have to arm, them, arm themselves, because there are dangerous people out there.
0: Besides your book coming out in March, do you have any other upcoming projects that you're working on that people need to know
1: about? Um, not really. I got a couple of ideas in my head. But I'm not going to share it right now, <laughs> but I appreciate you asking. The reason why is that there's another book out there I probably have, I don't know, in a couple of months. I think I'll, I'll address and that's how, to, that's how to start some type of business. But that, that's later on down the road. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm still mulling around in my head right now. Absolutely.
0: Well, throw out your contact information so so people can keep up with everything that you're up to.
1: Well, I have two websites. One's called NordlanderCPA.com, and that's my forensic accounting and tax uh, problem-solving website. That's one. Number two is I also have a website, my author website, called RobertNordlander.com, and that's where people can see you know where I'm speaking at and maybe the books I'm I'm writing and uh know a little bit more about me per se. So those are two areas. I also have a podcast, just like what you do, I have a podcast called the Fraud Fighter Podcast. And that is for people who are interested in the forensic accounting, anti-fraud, anti-money money laundering industry. If you're interested in that, I have approximately sixty something episodes, I believe. And I just interview experts in the field, people who are either doing the work people who are writing up the checks, hiring people to do the work, or the people who are doing the training or the software to make that job more efficient. So that's where it's at. Fraud Fighter Podcast.
0: Absolutely. Y'all be sure to check it out. Close us out with some final thoughts, maybe something that I forgot to touch on that you would like to talk about, It. just any final thoughts you have for the listeners.
1: Yeah, most people get upset because they they, they fear the IRS for various reasons, but most of the time it's just a pain in the rear end dealing with them. And I would agree with 100%. 100%. The customer service just thinks. uh, But the best advice I can give to people regarding taxes is number one, file accurately and file on time. If people will do that, most of the problems, tax problems will go away. That's what it is. And if you do find yourself in an audit, or maybe you owe a lot of money, there are ways to negotiate with the IRS. You may not be able to get pennies on the dollar because you don't qualify but there are ways to get the IRS off your back. The IRS doesn't really care about you, what they want is to collect the money. They want to know an accurate amount of money that you owe and they want to collect on it. And so it's not really personal for them. You may find it's personal to you because you don't want to receive the, uh, the notice in the mail, but they can be negotiated with. Um, sometimes they're unreasonable, sometimes they're reasonable. It just depends on the person, the employee you're dealing with, but they do have a lot of power. And so the best thing to do is just to comply they're asking for regarding an accurate tax return and to file it on time and you should be okay
0: great tips ladies and gentlemen robert Nordlander.com. be sure to check him out and if you do have any tax issues you know you can check out his books and check out his website do you have any suggestions for guests or topics cjackson102 at cox.net please be sure to follow rate review Share the show and tell a friend. Robert, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. For more information on the Living
0: the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream dream.